Spring is in full swing and summer is just around the corner. A great time for a beach getaway at the Oceanfront Boardwalk Plaza Hotel in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. Enjoy the best of oceanfront accommodations and amazing dining right on the beach, both with great views of the ocean and boardwalk. Enjoy a soak in the heated indoor spa pool or book the adults-only concierge level and relax in the rooftop hot tubs. Book online at boardwalkplaza.com or call 800-33 beach thanks to the boardwalk plaza for being the bridge podcast network sponsor story jumpers welcome to another episode of your favorite storytelling podcast are you ready to hear a great story of course that's why you're a story jumper when grady and his dad learn that the town oddball eudora kooky clinch left something for them in her will they can only imagine what it might be When it turns out it's an old scrap of 300-year-old tapestry, they are bitterly disappointed. But the cloth comes with a note saying, This is no ordinary piece of needlework. It's a treasure map. Riddles and clues. To the victor go the riches. Grady's dad dismisses it. But Grady thinks this could be the chance of a lifetime. With the help of his friends Thad, Clemmy, and the town dog Ophelia, Grady is determined to crack the clues and find the treasure. But when someone tries to break into Grady's house one night, and then the local antiques expert who examined the tapestry is found unconscious, Grady realizes that he's not the only one who knows about the treasure map. There's more at risk than he bargained for, and solving this mystery just got a lot more dangerous. Enjoy this reading of The Mystery of Radcliffe Riddle, by Taryn Suters. Chapter 1 Eudora Clinch died. I lowered myself onto the warped boards of the dock next to Thad and set the gift and gazette between us. My feet dangled above the water for an instant, then I thought better of it and removed my sneakers. I'd found them in the church donation box last week, and while they were in decent enough shape, the fit was a bit loose and I didn't care to lose one or both to Chapman's Pond. The murky water didn't seem to bother Ophelia much. The squirrel-chasing mutt who belonged to no one in Gifton, but was looked after by nearly everyone, barreled down the dock and leapt into the pond. Why are you reading the obituaries, Grady? Thad asked. It's creepy. I've got nothing else to read. I swung my feet back and forth. It's Sunday. The library's closed, and I've read everything I checked out last week. And it wasn't like I could buy books when I ran out of something to read. Ophelia swam to shore and disappeared into the woods, chasing a squirrel. Thad yanked a narrow bag of shelled sunflower seeds from his back pocket and poured a few into his hand. Want some? No, thanks. I pushed my hair away from my eyes. I needed a haircut, but they cost money and I wasn't about to trust Thad with a pair of scissors. He flipped open his sketchbook and began another floor plan. If Thad wasn't drawing houses, he was reading about them, or about architects. It was all part of his plan to become a world-famous architect himself. I wonder if Kuki's ghost is digging up flowers for her heavenly mansion. Eudora Clinch had earned her nickname, Kuki, due to the fact she had hauled a shovel with her wherever she went, and she dug more holes around town than a gopher on caffeine. Rumor had it, 
ages ago, her ancestors buried something valuable somewhere in Gifton, but no one had ever found any treasure, not even Kooky Clinch. Every so often, she'd dig up some poor soul's graveside flowers, claiming to have finally found the long-lost treasure, and then take them back to her house for replanting. Deputy Oringdorf had long since given up talking to her about it, said she saw no point in upsetting her, since it was obvious Miss Eudora's cornbread wasn't quite cooked all the way through. Thankfully, she'd never taken the flowers from Mama's grave. Dad would have had a fit. Me too. At least that's one thing we'd have agreed on. Without Mama in between us, it had become so obvious Dad and I were on opposite sides in almost everything. If hope was a thing with feathers, like that Emily Dickinson poem that had been Mama's favorite, mine had a broken wing. Or maybe I just had the wrong kind of bird. I figured Emily was saying hope was like a bird in her chest that sang no matter what, it sounded like maybe she had a sweet canary or something cheerful inside her. But not me. I had an annoying mockingbird, poking fun at my attempt to get along with Dad. And I was pretty sure he had a vulture. What I really wanted was Emily Dickinson's canary. What are y'all doing? Clemmy's voice called from behind. Thad jumped and accidentally sideswiped the package of sunflower seeds right into the pond. Frank Lloyd Wright, why are you scaring me like that? Thad's idea of swearing was to spew architects' names. At least I'd heard of this one. Clemmy wasn't allowed to swear, but she usually didn't let that stop her. I glanced over my right shoulder, shielding my eyes from the afternoon sun. Clemmy, in a brown tank a shade lighter than her skin, sauntered down the dock toward us with a swagger that radiated self-confidence. You're going to turn into a boiled lobster. Her voice dragged its way through the soupy air and made its way to my ears. I knew she wasn't talking to me. Along with inheriting Mama's Welsh green eyes and dark hair, I also had her olive skin, and it took a lot for me to be mistaken for a boiled lobster. Like you never burn, Thad said. I don't, doofus, I just get darker. She flipped a handful of braids over her shoulder. And before you ask, yes, black people can also get freckles. No fair, he muttered. Thad was so white he could blend in with potato salad. Redheads are pale, but he took it to a whole new level. And you made me drop my snack. He stared mournfully at his floating bag of sunflower seeds. He reached down and pulled it out before it could sink to the bottom. Thad was drawn to food the same way moths are drawn to light. His stomach and love of architecture were his two main purposes for waking up. And despite the fact he ate all the time, a strong wind could probably blow him over. Guess what, Clemmy said, wiggling in between us and bringing the scent of coconut lotion with her. She smelled loads better than Thad or me. I won our ever so official battle of the battles. A couple weeks back before school ended, our history teacher, Mrs. Maragos, had crammed in a last minute lesson about a bit of a kerfuffle during Georgia's colonial history, the War of Jenkins's Ear. Some British guy got his ear cut off by some Spanish guy, and eight years of war followed. Even though a good chunk of the fighting happened in the Caribbean, parts of it took place near Gifton, stuff like militia raids and skirmishes. 
after that history lesson, Clemmy, Thad, and I tried to see who could find the dumbest reason to start a war. All we'd discovered so far were that noble causes like freedom and liberty were few and far between. But dumb reasons were as common as mosquitoes on a summer night. What makes you think you're the winner? Thad asked. Clementine Powell and Thaddeus Carlton were as different as cherries and cheese. But you'd be hard-pressed to find a closer pair of friends. Somehow, they made it work. Unlike Dad and me. Clemmy poked him in the chest. I don't think, I know. Ever hear about the War of the Golden Stool? Thad scowled. The what? I didn't think so. Clemmy grinned and glanced down at his sketchbook. Nice house, by the way. Can't it wait? I wiped away a bead of sweat. I was about to tell him about Eudora Clinch. She's not going anywhere. Hold on. But, Clemmy erased my protest with a wave of her hand. Later, Grady. I groaned. Arguing with her was useless. She was the shortest of the three of us, but tough as a pine knot when she had her mind set on something. Look here. She leaned toward me and pulled a folded piece of paper from her back pocket. Some British diplomat back in 1900, and why does it always seem to be the British? Demanded to sit on a stool that was considered sacred to the Ashanti people, there in Africa, and bam, war broke out. She thrusted the paper toward Thad. Read it, people died. Thad folded the sheet in half and fanned his face. Speaking of people who died, I said, let's get back to Eudora Clinch. Clemmy rested back on her hands and crossed her ankles. Is it true she was rich? Thad stopped fanning. And cats, didn't she have a million of them? I remember one bit Ernie's big toe last year, held on tight too, until Ernie fed it one of his chicken nuggets. Hard to blame the cat. Ernie Dixon was practically feral himself and smelled like chicken nuggets because that's all he ever ate. His folks weren't around much, and according to him, his pet turtle Sheldon didn't mind the smell and would even eat an occasional chunk of chicken himself. I rolled my eyes. The obituary doesn't mention money or cats. It'd be in bad taste. I swiped the fan from Thad and handed him the newspaper. Here, look. He flapped it open and read aloud. The rather eccentric Eudora Clinch surely went on to receive her heavenly reward last Thursday at the overripe age of 98. She lived in Gifton her whole life. She was an only child and never married. Miss Clinch often won yard of the month for the beautiful flowers in her front lawn. Clemmy shook her head. The mayor can't even get her name right. Mayor Shore ran the Gifton Gazette. He was reporter, editor-in-chief, and obit writer. The good man hadn't developed a habit of proofreading any better than he developed photographs. The weekly newspaper was simply Deputy Orringdorf's police report sprinkled with blurry pictures, expired coupons, opinions, and typos. Thad turned his attention back to the paper. A graveside service will be held this Tuesday at four o'clock. Y'all know where. Feel free to bring flowers from Eudora's front lawn, they were most likely yours to begin with anyway. Come if you have nothing else going on. Charlie Waddell, do not bring a date this time. I swatted away a mosquito. I think we should go. Thad pulled the gazette down. 
Why? Keep reading. Reception provided by Gift and Cooking Society to follow immediately after. Please RSVP to Miss Ida Rose Cloyd, who will be heading up the somber affair. If anything good or bad happened in town, Ida Rose was guaranteed to be present and handing out food. On second thought, we should pay our respects. Thad handed back the newspaper. Clemmy smacked her lips. I hope she brings cake. I want her fried chicken, Thad said. Are you serious? I'm definitely not eating her fried chicken, Clemmy said. If she eats that on a regular basis, her funeral will probably be next. Ida Rose turned out fried chicken so greasy, the undertaker probably could have tossed a couple pieces into Eudora Clinch's coffin ahead of time and just let her glide through the pearly gates. But the following week, we learned that Clemmy, for all her many talents, was no fortune teller. Ida Rose was not the next Gifton resident to kick the bucket. Story jumpers. Oh my gosh, hidden treasure? You gotta be kidding me. We've got another treasure with us today, the author of the mystery of the Radcliffe Riddle, Taryn Suters. Hey, it's great to see you again. It's great to be back here. I love being on this podcast. Well, we love having you. And it's great that you brought this brand new book forward to us. Uh, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I mean, we're talking about treasure maps. We're talking about kids adventuring. And this, this is really a unique story. Where did you get the idea for this mystery? So I get this question a lot from kids. And so I'm so glad that you asked it. Lots of times with my books, it will be a life experience of some kind that I will pull from. And, and then I just kind of embellish that and turn it into a story. In this particular case, I had actually read an article. It was something that had popped up on Facebook about the 10 most unusual wars ever fought. And I love history. I'm a big history buff. And so I'm like, well, this sounds interesting. I'm going to read about this. And one of the wars that they had listed there, I think it was like number three on the list, was called the War of Jenkins' Ear. And so I read about that and it kind of like parts of that war took place um, definitely in the Caribbean, uh, near the Florida, Georgia coastline and into the Caribbean. And then there were some skirmishes that took place on land, the more that I read about this war. And I thought, oh, my goodness, this would be such a fun little nugget of history. Number one, to tell kids about, because we're not really taught about this war because it happened before the colonies kind of existed. Georgia didn't technically, um, it, Georgia was just beca- becoming a colony at this time. So it's definitely, it's all pre-colonial. So it's not in our history right. books necessarily. So I decided I was going to write a treasure hunt story um, mixed with a little bit of crime and intrigue that kind of grew from this uh, War of Jenkins' Ear. That is really fascinating. I would love to know what some of the other wars were on that list. Was the Golden oh Stool, was that a real one? Yes, the War of the Golden Stool was on that list. That was a real one. Um, and that was a war that was fought over in Africa uh-huh. uh, with the Ashanti people. They had a stool that was it was gold, and it was sacred to them. It was very special, and only certain people could sit there. And this British diplomat, this took place, I believe, late 1800s, early 1900s. I can't remember the exact date. 
But this British diplomat decided that um, he should be able to sit on that stool. And he demanded that it be brought to him and he sat on it and, and war broke out. And oh it was it was gosh. not good. Uh, there's War of the Pig, which took place in northwestern America and Canada. I mean, there's some crazy wars out there. Um, yeah, so it was it was a very entertaining read, um, and it was just full of fascinating history. Well, that's neat. That's neat. I'm glad that that was able to that interest of yours was able to work into the interests of the characters in this story, and then be such an important part you know, to, yeah. to the adventure. It really is. And in fact, at the end of the book, I have a couple of pages where you can read about the war of Jenkins year. Like, Ooh. was it really fought over the fact that captain Robert Jenkins had his ear cut off by the Spanish coast guard? Wow. And if, if you know if that was really the, the case, then you're going to need to to read up on that. war. Wow. Wow. It sounds neat. I will look it up. So why did you want to write this particular book? I'm sure you've got lots of ideas and you're sifting through which ones, you know, kids might enjoy the most. Why this one? Because as a kid, I always wanted to find treasure like that. Sure. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's almost a universal desire for all kids from any country shoot any adult really. Like, I mean, it's those, you know, I live in Florida, so uh, whenever we go to the beach, it's the adults that I see that have the metal detectors that right, are doing right. all the beach looking for treasure. So you never really outgrow that that desire or that just little um, little bit of adventure that's in all of us. Like, what happens if I dig here? Um, growing up, we lived uh, in Ohio for mm -hmm. about five years, and there was this creek that ran behind our yard. And just, it was a beautiful area. And I was always back there digging in the creek, trying to find um, arrowheads oh, yeah. or, you know, yeah. I mean, dinosaur bones would have been that way been cool. would have been really cool. <laughs> yeah. Treasure for sure. Any kind of fossil. I was always looking for something. And I don't think I've ever outgrown right, that. Right, right. I just think it'd be fascinating. You know, one of the biggest treasures that I've ever uh, heard of when I was a kid, the teacher brought an old reader's digest. Um, not, not, he brought a, you know, a copy of the article, right? And we read it in, in the class. And it was about a place about a couple of boys who actually found this tree and under the tree, they found like a, what would have been a little notch or a little hole. And I think they might've found a single coin or something. So they started exploring and, and it was revealed that there were some uh, planks there from like a ship and maybe there was more going on here. So they started to excavate it and, and do all of this. Well, this whole thing turned into the Oak Island treasure, which oh, is yeah. Yeah, the famous one, right? Like yeah. they did a TV show of, and they're still they're still searching for that treasure. And yes, they are. You know, young men <laughs> and old men and young girls and old ladies alike. Everybody's looking for treasure. So, oh my goodness, that yeah. is fascinating. Yeah, and it really is. I mean, for centuries, yes, that's, yes. Pirates are fascinating because you know the treasure, and there's there's so many wars that you can read about, like even in the revolutionary war and in the civil war, uh -huh. these stories of um, treasure being hidden so that, Absolutely. you know, the enemy would get it. And then it, you know, it never gets found. And it's, it's just yeah. so much fun. Very cool. Very cool. So throughout the story, we, we do get a hold of a treasure map and um, 
I got a little confused because I was, you know, going over this and, and we received a treasure map and it was a sampler. And I was like, does she mean that they found the treasure map at a buffet? Like I, get to, <laughs> I get a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Or was it oh, in a Whitman sampler box? You know, the chocolate? Yeah, so while I am a huge fan of the Whitman's chocolate sampler, um, and I think that that would make an excellent addition to a story, I'm actually talking about a sampler that is stitched or that is sewn. So historically, samplers have been around since, um, well, gosh, like biblical times, honestly. Uh, one of the earliest records of a sampler that they have found was from a medieval Egyptian grave site. And uh, from, I think... Oh, gosh, I actually don't remember the date, but I feel like it was the 1300s. It was a really long time ago. And what's really cool is one of the very easily recognizable pictures on the sampler is of a cat, which if you know your Egyptian culture, they loved their cats. But a sampler was something that girls sewed from like age till, you know, when they could hold a needle. Some of these, you know, girls are sewing at age five or six, some, some even younger. And it was a way to show off their sewing skills. Hmm. Typically, they would have the alphabet, the numbers, and some pictorial elements, and um, a design, a beautiful border. And the samplers had all sorts of purposes. Um, but the main purpose was for a young girl to practice her, sh- her sewing and to kind of uh, promote what a great sewer she was because you were considered, um, or maybe I should say you weren't considered marriageable material unless you could sew because you needed to be able to provide garments for your family. Mm-hmm, you couldn't mm-hmm. just go into a store and buy something. You usually made it. Sometimes you, you sheared that sheep and you made the thread and you made the, I mean, sometimes it was, you did everything. Wow. Yeah. So it was a very important skill to learn. And it was one that you can find samplers even to this day, uh, not only in antique stores, but people are still sewing them. And it's just a really cool skill. And so I thought it would be fun to hide the treasure or hints of the treasure. There's a riddle that has been sewn into a sampler. And also one of the fun things that I found while I was researching samplers is that sometimes the images that were in a sampler could have a hidden meaning Mm. and um, it could be based on the the picture that was used or even the color that was used. And I reached out to a store. They actually were in England and they do a bunch of samplers. They sell them. And I talked to someone there through email and she sent me this list of images that mean certain things. So for instance, an Mm. acorn, if you would have seen an acorn on a sampler, that would symbolize that the family was wealthy. Hmm. Um, a pineapple, it was a sign of hospitality. And so maybe they were a very welcoming family. Or maybe this was hanging up in an inn where, you know, you literally, your, your livelihood was the livelihood of hospitality. So it's just a really fun thing to study and to uh, flip into a story. Yeah. So obviously the person who made this sampler would have like in-depth knowledge about the location of the treasure and the value of it. And they'd want to make a riddle to disguise it and hide it. But where better to hide a riddle than in plain sight, right? So. That is exactly right. It was very normal for girls to be sewing, like, all the time. Mm. And 
this particular character might not have known when she would have a chance to go back right. to retrieve that treasure. And she wanted to make sure she didn't forget it. Yes. And so she stitched it. And, and it is one of those things where over time, people didn't know, you know, that, 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 um, uh, that knowledge is kind of lost, mm -hmm. but then someone within this family notices there's something odd about this sampler and a rumor kind of gets started that maybe there's a treasure associated with it. Very cool. Now, have you ever found your own treasure? No, I found, okay, well, I guess it, de it depends on what you view as treasure. <laughs> <laughs> I found a really cool rock in the creek back when I was in Ohio one day, and it was about the size of a grapefruit, hmm. and it had been split in half. And on the half that I found, it looked like there might have been like a leaf fossil or something. Oh, yeah. It was really cool. Yeah. And I held on to that for the longest time. And I think when we moved from Ohio down to Florida, it got lost in the move because I don't oh, have it anymore. Oh, no. Yes. Yes. And then I, I remember one day I was out biking and I found like a rusted hinge. Oh, and yeah. this was when I was probably like in second or third grade. And that rusted hinge was total treasure to yes, me. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> because I was oh, yeah. I was convinced it was, you know, 500 years old. Well, there's got to be a valuable. chest that goes with that hinge somewhere. I just needed to look a little harder. <laughs> there is a place here in Delaware when there are really bad storms. This beach, uh, well, we, we used to have an inlet in one location, an inlet where um, ships that were sailing up the coast, could, certain size ships could come across the inlet into the bay um, and, and, you know, and do their trading or whatever. Anyway, it was a way to get, you know, deeper into the bay. Uh, well, big storms would sometimes shift the sands and shift the, and that bay got, that inlet got closed off once. And so now there's a new inlet. Well, anyway, at one point in time, there was a ship that uh, crashed or, or got sunk. And a lot of its treasure spilled into the coast. And even now, when there are big storms, you can go down to this area known sort of like as Treasure Beach, and there will still be things that get washed ashore, little trinkets oh and things God. and even some coins. And um, I've never found anything, but every time there's a big storm, I always think about heading down there. Oh, absolutely. And we get that same situation here in Florida because there are so many ships that have been lost over the years um, due to hurricanes and really bad storms. And, you know, it's not just the top, it's not just the land that gets kind of right. rearranged with a hurricane deep into the ocean, all those sand, all that, all of that gets mixed up and the water gets churned. And so they have discovered, in fact, we had two hurricanes come through in November here in Florida. And after the second one came through, there was this big news story that a sunken ship had been discovered Hot dog. and the only reason it was discovered is all that sand from the hurricane had been rearranged. And they're like, Oh, here we have another yeah. ship that has gone down. Yeah. It's fast. And I think it's like from the 1800s or something. Um, but it's just really, really neat. All of this treasure that's still out, there. out there. Yeah. Yeah. So why are you writing and not scuba diving? <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. Really good question. Good question. <laughs> so um, we meet some really cool characters. Uh, they each have their own very individual um, 
I don't want to say characteristics, but their own voice, their own attitudes, their own style. Each one of them is just, it's, they are their own standalone characters. They really stand out, right? For you, who is your favorite character in this book and why? So I have, um, I have one character. Her name is Clemmy and she, her real name's Clementine, but she goes by Clemmy and she is definitely one of my favorite characters. She's very logical. She's smart. Um, she, she has to make sure things make sense to her and she's very loyal to her friend, Grady and Grady Judd is the main character in this story. And Clemmy is kind of the glue that holds Grady and Thad. Mm -hmm. Thad is the other, he's the comic relief character. So he's a lot of fun too, but the three of them together. And when she know, when she sees something that needs to be fixed, she's like, look, this is how it's going to be done. And this is how we're going to do it. Yeah, she might come across as a little bossy. But she doesn't care because she knows that this is going to get them through it. Yeah. So I really like Lemmy. She was a lot of fun to write. But then so is that. The comic relief character is always a fun one. Yeah, yeah. Now, you've come up with a ton of characters over the years. This is your fourth novel, your fifth book overall. Um, mm-hmm. it does Does this book take place... Um, do, do we see any characters from your other books or does it take place anywhere near your other books? That's a great question. So this takes place in the same County Tipton County that Coop knows the scoop took place in. So it's a different town. Coop knows the scoop took place in Windy bottom. This one takes place in a town called Gifton, mm-hmm. but it is in the same County. Uh, so you're going to, the landscape will be similar, mm-hmm. but you're not going to have any of the same characters here. Okay. But you're still going to have that same small town feel. Very cool. Well, and you could tell that it was the same region uh, just by the way that they talked and the, like uh, the analogies that you gave or the funny little references to things, you know, it was, this was like that. And it was just such a Southern flavor to, you know, what, what the characters were thinking or referring to. Oh, it was great. It really was great. So I'm so glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. This Southern writing, um, Southern books are just, they're fun. Yeah. They're fun. A lot of good sayings down South. (laughs) Yeah. Good sayings and good food. Well, another good saying is until we meet again and (laughs) we are always so happy to have you on. You have such wonderful stories to share. Will you keep us in mind when you bring something else forward, when you have a new story to tell? Absolutely. You'll be the first one I go to. (laughs) Thank you so much. We'll see you soon. Parents, Taryn Suter's middle grade novels have been named to multiple state award lists. Her book, Coop Knows the Scoop, was a 2021 Edgar Award nominee for Best Juvenile Mystery Novel. She is a member of Mystery Writers of America and Word Weavers International. She's also the co-director of Florida Christian Writers Conference. Taryn lives in Sorrento, Florida with her husband, David, their three children, and two cats, an overly fuzzy ragdoll named Mordecai, and a polydactyl Hemingway named Sebastian, who loves to terrorize flies. While she's somewhat decent at math, she is terrible at science and has an intense dislike of tarantulas. You can find more about her writing at TarynSuiters.com.